Hello, I'm Linda Seif from The Layered Onion. Thank you for joining us. We will be listening to our amazing creators talk about their art and mental health. 48 million artists all over the world share this lived experience. The Layered Onion was formed to create a supportive community, allowing the creators to focus on their art, bringing their work from the shadows to receive the recognition and opportunities they deserve. Each podcast will feature an artist who talks about their creations and mental wellness. Art is healing. We hope these discussions will inspire you to appreciate the stories behind the creations and more importantly, inspire your inner creator. Together, we can tackle the stigma surrounding mental health. So hello, Jennifer. Um, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast, especially for those that don't know, Jennifer and I knew each other in a past life. I mean, that was like 20 some years ago. Yes. And just recircled back. (laughs) So Jennifer, maybe you could introduce yourself to everyone and maybe even talk about uh, the circuitous path you've taken. Yes. Yes. Um, So I'm Jennifer Schwarzkopf now. You knew me as Jennifer Conlin, I believed. I was a newlywed right? Some 22 years ago is when I got married. So I am now 46 and it has been quite the journey. You know, uh, when I knew you, I really looked up to you were my client, I guess, for those listening. And I was at the ad, at an ad agency and I kind of fell into ad agency work because I was a creative person, but it was pretty drilled into me as a kid that you needed to have, you know, a good college degree, a good career, And so it was the closest thing I thought I could do to being creative while, but I was also client side. So I wasn't even really writing or doing the creative part. And um, so I did everything I was supposed to do, right? My whole life. And, And then in 2012, my then husband who I met at a Catholic university and we were both Catholic and I was like, okay, both of our parents are all still married. He woke me up and told me he wanted a divorce and that, um, you know, it really kind of shook me to the core. And I thought, no, we're going to do this. We're going to make it work. And looking back on it, it was the right decision. Um, But and then it forced me to evaluate all of the things I had been taught and um, kind of conditioned to believe throughout my whole life. So I think that was kind of my awakening at 30 something. Um, And. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. So we'd been married 10 years when we got divorced and he's a wonderful guy. I just think we were both so young when we got married and we didn't know anything about who we were and what we actually believed. And, you know, it was just, we'd been together that long. It was time to get married. So we have a beautiful daughter and um, he has since remarried and has a wonderful family. I've since remarried. Um, But during that time, I really took a step back. I was doing marketing at that point on the client side, still doing marketing, really good at it, right? I'm, I'm really good at the strategic. I went on to get my MBA in that time period. Um, and, but it just didn't satiate me. You know, I was moving up the ladder, uh, in leadership positions within organizations here in town, serving as like the marketing director and things like that. But I was usually the youngest person on the leadership team, had a real hard time just sitting there and holding my thoughts to myself if I felt like something was wrong. 
And I thought there was something wrong with me to keep speaking up and speaking out. And like, why couldn't I just hold my tongue and just go with the flow like everyone else seemed to do? And I would eventually, I mean, if I was lucky, I would be at a place about a year and then I would just hate it and leave. I'd have to find something else to be a better fit. Except for GE. I stayed at GD, GE health, Healthcare for a long time. And um, I'm not quite sure why. I haven't really thought about that. But um, I would usually get restless and bored. And I think back to how much time I wasted in offices. Like, because my brain was jumping all over the place, I would be doing 20 different things, things for my personal life, because I wasn't stimulated enough. So... Um, I never was going to fall in love again, never was going to date again. And of course, I started like kind of dating and I meet this guy who's really good looking. A friend of mine clicked on him and was like, you should check him out. And it's my now husband, Nathan. And I remember we were on a date. Like we, he had been calling me. We had been touching base. But I had been seeing this other guy who was a banker. And when I met Nate in person, I was like, listen, you wear jeans and T-shirts to work. I'm used to dating bankers and attorneys. And he's like, how's that been working out for you? And I was like, touche, touche. He was, he was like this strong personality, this alpha, someone I needed to challenge me, right? Who wasn't mm -hmm. just going to let me kind of do anything and, and was going to make me reflect on things. And he was the one that really said, babe, you're not happy doing marketing. You're good at it, but your, your soul is sucked dry. You're depressed. He said, you need to do what you love and that rest will figure itself out. He's like, so one day he came home and I said, I think, and I started consulting on the side on my own just to kind of figure things out, have some more flexibility because of, you know, my struggle with depression uh, and being somewhere that it's winter for so long. Oh, isn't it it's hard? really, I mean, I also think I didn't thrive in offices because they, especially in this town where they need you, they wanted you, this is pre-pandemic, you had to be at your desk at 8.01. Mm -hmm. And I could not get out of bed half the time. Like just getting out of bed and getting out the door, it takes me about two hours if I'm like, because I, I do have some diagnosed OCD. I think it's supposed to be a rare, like a lesser form. But every morning, like today is a weird day because I haven't been on my phone all day. And mm -hmm. every morning though, typically I get up before I leave the bed, I play two games on the New York Times. I play a game of solitaire till I win and I play two dots. Then I'll get up and start my day. Like it's just these little rituals I've built in. And once I was diagnosed with OCD, I see it better. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, going back, though, one day he came home and I said, I signed up for culinary school and <laughs> it was 2018. And he said, Okay, so that's going to happen. And, you know, he supported me and I went to culinary school full time and I started working in kitchens. So here I was, you know, at the top of my game career, top of my game career wise, right? Making six figures and I should be so happy, I thought, but I was miserable. So here I start as a garde manger. So like the lowest person on the totem pole at a at a high end restaurant and like, I remember I'd be there at night, like, mopping the floors because I was the lowest person on the totem. And it was very humbling, right? So mm -hmm. I'm here I am starting this at, like, in my 40s. And usually line cooks start at, like, their teens or 20s. But I'm there sweeping. And some nights I'd be like, what? Like, I'd be cleaning a fryer. And I'm like, what the F are you doing with your <laughs> life? Like, what is wrong with you? And, like, my parents were like, 
she's lost her. I mean, they wouldn't say that, but I'm sure they're like, she lost her damn mind. And so many of my friends who, who are doctors and all these things, you know, very successful in terms of what's been traditionally deemed successful. Right. I'm sure they all thought I lost my marbles, but I was happy. I'd go to bed tired because I used my body all day. Um, and while I went to school, I was implementing it right in the kitchen and, and just learning really, really fast. And I love to learn. I'm a constant student. So if someone could fund my education habit, I would just be in school all the time. But luckily, uh, not luckily. I mean, I have <laughs> so much student debt. I can't even tell you that was, that's going to kill me. But, um, so I started working at kitchens and I slowly moved my way up, but actually it was pretty expedited. I mean, school wasn't that long and I started working up in restaurants. So I went to a different restaurant that had daytime hours so I could see my daughter more and the pandemic hit while I was there and I reopened the hot side of the restaurant, um, after the pandemic like started and we started doing takeout and, um, I think just my age and my maturity, <laughs> but my management experience helped me finally get my first executive chef position. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was no problem because I knew how to be organized spreadsheets, timelines, you know, things like that came naturally to me. And so the organization piece was great and I'm great in work organization. But if you saw my house, it looks like, I don't know, we just throw things wherever we do. And then we just go about <laughs> our business. But I have to say it's a very happy house, right? It's lots of laughter. And um, it's very different than me 20 years ago, my house would have been neat as a pin. My checkbook would be balanced to the penny. We had checkbooks. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was very like regimented, right? I was taught mm -hmm. away. I did the way and my husband still teases me that I'm a rule follower. But my mindset and just my awareness of who I am and, and what I need in life is just to be more creative. I, I'm more aware now of that. So what, when there's a lot of paths for creativity, I know that you had an English degree mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Spanish and that yep. you like to write. Yep. What got you to the place of thinking culinary art? I, you know what? It's interesting. I've thought about it a lot over the years. I love food. I know everyone, actually not everyone says that. I remember a guy in my MBA program saying, I don't like eating at waste time. I just couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my husband, you know, he's like, I love to watch you eat because when something's really good, you close your eyes. He's like, you're really just taking it in. You're just enjoying the moment. And I think I remember as a child, we'd go to South America to visit my family and my, um, my grandmother said in Spanish, I remember once to my mom when I was little, I love to watch her eat. She enjoys it so much. So I think it's because I, I like to work with my hands. I, you know, I'm definitely in flow when I'm cooking. I'm very happy when I'm cooking. Um, and I get to create things. I love it when someone loves what I eat, what they eat uh, that I've made. Um, it, it, when they say, oh, this was delicious. Or I, you know, when they've had something they haven't had before and I created it, it makes me so proud and it makes me so happy to give them that experience. And I think it's an expression of love and creativity and just of who I am. And mm -hmm. it's also helped me kind of deal with my background that I 
you know, my father, we thought was Irish descent. It turns out he's probably German and Scottish after ancestry. And my mother is from South America. So lots of influence. She's from the Basque region, um, the Native Americans in South America. My grandfather uh, was an Indian descent and um, just trying to marry. You know, I was always other, I felt like as a kid. So I was a Catholic in Mississippi, which is very rare, right? <laughs> I didn't even know I was Hispanic till I started. I got older and lived up north. Um, but I was Southern would go to South America in the summers and I just in, in South America, I was obviously an American or a white girl. And then here I was always something other and was never Hispanic enough. Like when I went to college and was in Spanish for near native speakers, my professor wasn't very nice to me because I wasn't dark enough. I wasn't first generation. I wasn't, I didn't speak with an accent. So I always kind of felt other and I felt food and learning about the food of my mom's country and culture and Southern food and just kind of learning about the diaspora of, you know, African Americans and essentially uh, slaves brought to the U S and their influence on Southern food. I mean, it's just, you know, just learning about the cultures and the history of where my ancestors lived. It's, I think it helps me kind of process that. Um, I always dream of having some sort of fusion restaurant where I can cook Southern and South American somehow and make it work and, and somehow mm -hmm. bring the flavor together. And um, yeah, culinary, I've just, my mom always cooked as she actually grew up in a boarding school from the age of six on. And when she would go home, she, the, they had maids. It's just the way it was, you know, um, and so she never cooked. And when she married my father, my grandmother said to her, you need to take a maid with you. You don't know how to cook. Because my mom came over in a teaching exchange program. And that's how they met in Mississippi. <laughs> my dad grew up before. And which country in South America? He's from Chile. Okay, Chile. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So she was a school teacher before she retired. And we'd go down for about, my sister and I would go down with her for about two to three months every summer. And mm -hmm. during our childhood. Um, and when she got married, you know, she's, my grandmother's like, you need to take a maid. You don't know how to cook. And my mom's like, they don't do, that's not the way it works there. Like I'm going to cook. And my grandmother thought it was so unheard of. And, um, my mom came to the U S and she would, she will tell you, I read cookbooks from cover <laughs> to cover, like novel. <laughs> so she would read cookbooks and then she'd go in the kitchen, try and figure it out. And so I saw her cooking. She didn't really teach me, but I look back and there are lots of pictures of me in South America with, for lack of a better term, the help, right? Because uh, the cooks, the housekeepers, the nanas in the, in the house, they become part of your family, right? So mm -hmm. we are lifelong friends. My grandparents paid for schooling for, uh, some of their children, you know, cause they're both educators and to help them out. Or, and sometimes they lived on the property in a, like a, a house in the back. Sometimes they didn't, they just came in every day, but you see all these pictures of me as a kid in Chile, um, hanging out with the cooks or the maids as they would call them. And cause they're part of the family and there are pictures of me dressed up in the maids uniform 
Um, at my grandparents' house, they didn't wear uniforms, but at my aunt and uncle's house, they wear uniforms and I'm hanging laundry with them. I remember being in the kitchen with Teresa. She's still a very big part. You know, we keep in touch and her children are very close with my, my family. And, um, I remember how cold it was. I just remember how cold it was and how she toasts things directly on the burners on the stove and, you know, making coffee with her and being in this tiny kitchen with her every Friday, I'd go to the fresh market with my grandmother. But when she didn't go, it was mostly with Teresa. And that's when they had all the fish would come in on Fridays and, uh, we'd take home fresh clams and, you know, put them with Parmesan and, and serve them for lunch. And it was always a multi-course meal. So we start with soup, then we might have a salad, then you have the main course, then like, it would be like steak or something. And, uh, the salad is a Chilean salad. So it'd be tomato with onions and olive oil and lemon juice. And then you'd have a light dessert, whether it was some sort of fruit dessert, um, or fruit with fresh cream, things like that. And from the trees from my grandparents' backyard. Right. And just talking about this now, I haven't realized it, but I think that is probably more, I mean, my mother is, became a wonderful cook and she figured out some Southern recipes that my dad loved. Like she makes the best chicken and dumplings. She makes the best asuela from Chile. Um, and you know, when I go home, she knows I want cream potatoes and fried pork chops, you know? So <laughs> she always has that ready for us, even if we land at like 11 PM, but just talking about, it's making me a little emotional, just talking about like the influence of, um, spending time in the kitchen and spending time with, um, the higher help. I hate, it sounds so terrible. I don't mean it to sound terrible. It's just, it's just kind of the way it works there. Um, but they are family, you know, they are an extension of family. And, uh, you know, Teresa taught me a lot about cooking and, um, not intentionally, but just being around her, you know, it sounds to me like you have yet this another opportunity to bring that piece into your creativity, mm-hmm. all that culture and heritage. That that would be really exciting if you yeah. were able to combine both the Southern and um, South American cooking together. That would be really That's- interesting. Yeah, there is a, a chef out of New York, Victoria Blamey. She's Chilean. She's amazing. Um, I follow her closely. And yeah, I just think it, it the culinary journal journey has started at the same time that I, I said, you know, it, it forced me to reckon with what I had been like trained and taught and, you know, what my life was supposed to be. And I think just kind of getting to know myself and getting to like wrap my arms around like where I come from and what makes me happy and how to share that experience. I have a very unique background um, and I didn't appreciate it as a kid. I didn't want to go to South America for my summer vacations. I wanted to stay and hang out with my friends. I thought I was going to miss out. And then I look at the experiences I had of going to dance clubs, making my friends down there, going to dance clubs at like 15, 16 Mm-hmm. I remember and having a guy in college come and dance with me. And then he's like, do you, do you want a cigarette? And I'm like, I don't smoke. And he's like, do you want a drink? I'm like, I don't drink. And he goes, an American <laughs> that drink or smoke. I didn't know such a thing existed. Like their perspective of fees <laughs> uh, and things. Um, you know, I went in college, I took a, 
it was called American Orientalism. So it was a view of the East from the West. Um, my professor studied in Morocco a lot. Um, he, you know, we did a lot of kind of these interpretation. I mean, we reviewed movies like Lawrence of Arabia was something we had to watch so long. Half that movie is him on a camel, but it was, it was interesting, <laughs> and I, you know, a, kind of like what people like the bastardization of some of these themes of the East. Um, and I actually, my parents had moved to Vegas by then. And I wrote a paper about how in Las Vegas, a lot of them take these themes uh, of the Middle East, use them in, in casinos and such, but it's all based on our perspective, not the reality, right? I guess it is cultural appropriation now as mm -hmm. we have a term for it. And, um, I don't know. It's just very interesting. I don't know how I got on that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, so I do what I'm, what I'm wondering is now you're on this culinary journey and I heard you really talk about the taste and the smells and then the, the hands-on technique yes. that you saw with, um, from home, both from your mother and from folks that you, you know, lived with down in South America. So in that case, now, when you are going to think about presenting food, I think when people first see a plate, it is the first experience. And of you course, as a home cook, we don't always think about that. But that's so integral in really a chef and right. thinking. So Maybe tell me a little bit about that plating and the artistry with plating. You know, plating is a whole other beast, right? Um, along the way, you know, some of my many forays into creativity, I used to freelance as a makeup artist. I, uh, so you are, I, you have done a lot of different things. <laughs> when, when I was little, I used to say, I want to be an artist. And, uh -huh. you know, now that I have a daughter of my own who's 17, you know, I realize what we want as children or what our dreams are, we're going to end up coming back to them if we uh -huh. don't satisfy them from the get-go. And we might burn a lot of bridges and waste a lot of time and do a bunch of things, but it seems like the soul or the heart will bring you to that fin in final at some point. And I... um so what I want her to do is whatever you want to do, just do it and do it with passion because life is so short. Like life mm -hmm. is so short. And I think about the years that I've spun, I spun my wheels and things like that and missed, you know, maybe when I could have been deeper, I could be further in my career, I could be more deep. But going back to plating, you know, plating is something I struggle with, um, even though, you know, I have painted faces and I've done, you know, photography and creativity and things throughout my life because I struggle because I was kind of trained through fine dining. And so that the plating is very, you know, tight, concise. There are certain things, but you can be very creative. Um, but my, my type of food is a higher end, but much more provincial, much more comfort i love umami i love the hominess um that fat of you know the fat on a really good steak that is what drives me to make delicious food so plating you know they always say you eat with your eyes first so it's very important to have different colors on the plate 
I have not found any other plate that works as well as a white plate. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I've, I've worked black plates before. Something always looks bad on it. You know, uh, all these different plates, something, you know, you can't put green on, you know, this terracotta plate. It just looks sad, you know? So in the end, white is always the best canvas I have found. Um, their whole industries devoted to plates um, and the shapes, you know, the shapes are key. But for me, it's always you have to have like in makeup, Bobby Brown, pop a color, you know, pop a color on the cheeks. You need to pop a color. Um, what I have learned is how important textures are um, for the eyes. Yes, but also for the food. Right. So mm -hmm. part of so much of the experience is texture as well and the the different textures because if you're eating the same textures it's going to make almost like a monochromatic experience like monochromatic but mono textured um nothing stands out to you and i've learned the importance of acid you know to really like to provide a counterbalance and it's all about balance is um from the what the way the plate looks like you know you can't have you can but you can put everything in one corner of the plate and it makes me uncomfortable, right? There are things that are just inherent. And I think that's a lot <laughs> going back and learning more about mental health and things like that. I think that's part of my OCD, right? Like uh -huh. certain things, like there is a wall in our restaurant where there are a bunch of pictures hung and it makes me so uncomfortable right off the bat because everything is not straight. The whole thing is, you know, this collage uh. all is slanted and it makes <laughs> uncomfortable um and I think that a lot about the things that I have been good at in my life or successful at have been inherent and I think it took me a long time to realize that that was my strength because I felt everyone must have this in them everyone must have this sense of oh it makes me uncomfortable or uh and I realized that my talents are different from their talents and their talents and the things that are inherent to them and natural gifts. And then you can go back to, is it nature, nurture, education, whatever, but whatever their talents are, it's easy for them. And I think I fought what was easy because I thought, you know, early on, I need to major, I need to do things in math and engineering because that's where the money's going to be in finance. I wasn't good at that. I was just, I worked my ass off and I wasn't good at it. Um, but writing always came easily to me. Communication always became easy, easy to me. Um, and where I went to university, it was very expensive, but it was also major in what you're good at. Everything else will follow. And I think when I've learned the divorce case in point, you know, he wanted a divorce. I fought it, fought it, fought it. But then when I finally just, I went to go see this uh, therapist who does guided meditation. And in that, I had this vision of me laughing, standing in a white sheet with my hair really long and just laughing and laughing. And I just said out loud for the first time, I said, this marriage is over and I'm going to be fine. And what I've learned is every time I've just kind of surrendered and just did what was flow, what I was drawn to naturally and didn't try and struggle and fight against it. That's when I'm at my best. That's when, you know, the plates are most beautiful. The food is most tasty. Instead of trying to do what other people want or expect, if I do what I know is delicious, it's going to be good, you know? 
That's such a great, yes, and such a great vision to say that when you're at your flow, that anything you do that stops it is the problem. Mm -hmm. It's not what you think it should be. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's that idea. And so many times we get caught up in whether it might be the world's expectations, some something that we told us that we needed to be an engineer or be whatever. And we get so caught up in that and then miss our flow, Mm. you know? So that's a, that's a wonderful vision to kind of just think, you know, well, I, you know, things, I think things that make me good at my job, my husband says, you're such a conundrum, you know, you are such a complex person, you know, with your, your, quirks right your idiosyncrasies he's like I don't know if it's a combination of your OCD and ADD or what he's like but it makes you so good at your job and he's like because to see you on the line in the middle of the rush I mean that is part of it too is during service when things are crazy for some reason it's like and I it's quiet to me inside my head and I see the whole picture and I can call to the team and I can direct them and I know, you know, I'll jump in the line and fix things or help them through, but I know how to get it out on time. And I don't know how, I just see it. I see the whole thing. You need to drop that. You need to do this. We need to play it this way. You know, that is, I feel almost like a conductor. Mm-hmm. And when you get through a service that's tough, when you get slammed with, you know, patrons and you're in the thick of it and you're running out of stuff and you're figuring it out, when you get through that, that is the biggest high. That is the biggest high. And it's true. You're in the trenches with these people. I mean, my guys on the line at night, I would do anything for them. And, um, and I know they've always got my back and I haven't been on the line very much lately because part of the job also is a lot of admin, which is not the fun part. Right. Mm. Um, and that's, I think with anything, whenever you make your passion, your career, there's always going to be a big side of it. That's not going to be fun and it's going to be tough, you know, but my husband can tell the days I'm, I cook all day. Cause he's like, you're so happy. You must've cooked today. And I'm like, I did cook today. Like I, all day I just cooked, I made desserts and I did this and got to be creative. Um, but you know, that team, we're so close. We are so, because we've been through so many things, but when you get through that service and we all, you know, have a drink afterwards, it's just like the camaraderie and the respect for one another that I really love. It's, you know, and that's the thing with starting from the bottom. I I think there was some sort of guilt that I had my whole life because my parents weren't wealthy, but we were always comfortable. We always went out to nice dinners, you know, Mm-hmm. That was our socialization as a family was going to dinner. Um, but I think there was some sort of guilt with me in terms of coming from that background. And I think starting from the bottom, from the kitchen and working my way up and being able to like hoist those big, you know, cases of potatoes or sides of beef and, being able to hold my own in the kitchen, you know, it was an earned respect, I felt like, as opposed to a position of privilege with no understanding or no, nothing to back it up, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So 
as you think now, your original love was writing. Now you're a chef and you have this opportunity to be very creative. Do you ever see a place where those two would intersect? I'm dying to have that happen. I mean, I'm not a <laughs> anymore. And I, you know, sometimes I love what I do. Sometimes I think though, like if I, I had a big fall, like in a cooler right before Thanksgiving and it oh. really me up. Um, like my hand is still really messed up. Um, I really, luckily it was my left hand and I pulled like a muscle in my, in my tuchus. <laughs> and luckily I've been working out with a trainer for a year. So I feel, I feel like I bounced back well, but, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to physically do this forever, at least not at the pace I'm doing it. It was a very tough holiday season, um, with no sous chef, no additional back, uh, backup and also having to cut labor. Right. So I did a lot of it myself. I, I still love to read. I still love to write. I have over the years done some food writing, but nothing consistent. Um, I'd like to explore that further. And I've always had it in me that I'm going to publish a book. I don't know what that book looks like. I would love to win a James Beard award. You can win one for, I don't know if I'll ever win one for cooking because I feel like the industry, but especially where we live is very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And I've also learned that to win a James Beard, you have to be nominated by a previous winner or previous nominees and all the nominees here in town, all except I think once or twice have always been males. And if you're not in that, it makes me frustrated. That's a whole different topic for a different day. Um, I also, you know, and that's my old self is wanting external validation, right? But at the same time, if I know I'm doing the best food I can do and people are enjoying it, that to me in the end is the most beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, I would love to have the two come together. I would love to, you know, uh, my best friend from college is now a breast reconstructive surgeon. And she reached out to me a couple months ago. She kept calling and calling. I was like, what is going on with you? Like, do you, what do you need? She's like, I have an idea. And she was like, let's write a cookbook. She's like, you're the chef. I'm the doctor about breast health. So ah. that is our endeavor for this year. Okay. Uh, I told her, let's do it. It'll take us probably about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something we're doing. And I think if I have the momentum from that, you know, Maybe it makes money, maybe it doesn't, but if it does, maybe it allows me to have my own little place that's more of a destination and an experience. Um, you know, with my husband being in sound and music, I think about the whole experience of the dinner and how music is so integral in terms of the feeling, you know, and the emotions that you go through, things like that. I don't know. Um, so we're going to take a stab at that, but I would like to do a lot more writing. Mm-hmm. Do you have any is let me know (laughs) okay (laughs) um well unfortunately we are coming to the close of our hour which i don't know how that happened um technical difficulty aside we're we're (laughs) like getting close (laughs) so one thing i do want to ask you is and you've kind of touched upon it so um i i really want you to think about you said if you had, I was hearing almost what you were, were thinking, the advice you're trying to give your 17-year-old daughter. And it is so, you know, we can at reflect back. And would we be at the same place if we hadn't gone through what we went through? Maybe not. 
But if you could really give one piece of advice to your younger self, that younger kid, um, just reaching out to, you know, you're getting in the early teens, you're 13, what would it be? Oof, this is tough. <laughs> um, I think it would be something like, you are worth more than your looks and your body. Because that was what I was kind of taught, like my currency was. Mm -hmm. And I think I was kind of written off as just, you know, by my family that I was a little goofy, you know, instead of necessarily just saying, like seeing that as a positive. Um, but I spent so much time as a child and a teen and a young woman and even in my adult years, like obsessing about body image, fitness, external validation from men. This took a turn, didn't it? <laughs> but um, but that that's just the confidence, to have the confidence and to block out the thought of judgment, you know, is really what it is overall is just, just to go for it. Just don't hold yourself back because none of the judgments are worth it. None of people's comments are worth it. Like if you're not making yourself happy and if you're not your own biggest supporter and fan, you know, who cares if anyone else is, you have to be because that's the only way you're going to go forward. And it is so, and I know as a mother, you probably feel very strongly about about it for your daughters. I have daughters, and, and you just, in your heart, don't want them to go through some of the things that you went through. Yeah. But unfortunately, I see some of it, at least in my case, I see some of it repeat, and I don't know how, how do you stop that? You know, I heard... I've heard it a couple times. They say, uh, people have said, or essentially, I'm going to mess up my daughter, but it's not going to be the same way my parents did to me, right? Mm -hmm. No matter, for all of our best intentions, like my mom always says, there's no manual on how to be a parent. Like, and now having gone through, you know, 17 years, we're figuring this out together, right? And looking back now that my I have my daughter, I understand how my parents love me even though they may not express it the way that I understand or the way that I want in their hearts, they love me because I know how much I love my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think with her, I have been very open and communicative about things that are age appropriate, but something that I think when I was growing up, parents really kept things close to the vest. They weren't open about things. I mean, she knows I struggle with depression. She knows, um, you know, mom is down today. Like I have a happy light. She sees me sitting in front of my happy light in the morning or talking mm -hmm. about therapy and uh, working out for my mental health. And I think by being open with her, it has made her feel that she could be more vulnerable with me and open with me as well. I saw an interview with Kristen Bell, I believe it was. And she was talking about the actress talking about how her mother had told her, you know, years ago, I have depressed, you know, this is the, what depression feels like it runs in our family. If you start feeling this way, let me know. And she said, thank goodness my mom had that talk with me because I could tell her. And then I got on medication 
as far as my parents are concerned, uh, I've never had, I didn't have depression when I lived in their house. <laughs> I didn't have allergies when I lived in their house. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, and it's just a different generation, right? I have to understand where they're at and where they're coming from. But looking back, I had depression my whole life. You know, um, I didn't get diagnosed until I was in my early twenties when I moved here to this town, uh, to be with my then fiance. Um, I definitely had OCD tendencies like as a kid. Um, and I don't even, they're just part of me, but my husband will point out like if I'm sitting on the couch and my foot's doing this and I have to do it to even it out. Right. Things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I think I definitely have ADHD, but that hasn't been diagnosed. OCD and depression and anxiety have been. And, um, just being open with her in terms of how you can feel, how you, you know, the struggles I have and not being trying to even pretend to be perfect. You know, the biggest thing for me was to not talk about my body and to not make her feel self-conscious about what she eats or what her physicality is. And I think, you know, she's a very active kid and she eats voraciously and she's fit and she's happy and whatever. I'm so happy. She just seems like she's comfortable in her skin as much as you can be at that age. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I've made mistakes, um, but I am very quick. I've made mistakes I don't even know about yet. I'm sure I'll learn about those later. But I'm sure you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her, when I mess up, I own it. And I yeah. always say, I really messed up. I'm sorry. I was out of line. I don't remember my parents ever saying sorry to me. And mm-hmm. I think if our kids understand that we're human and we're trying and we're trying our best and being compassionate with them, all they can do is do the same and hopefully, um, yeah, just be better humans, right? Well, I have to say, Jennifer, it has just been such such a pleasure to reconnect. (laughs) And I hope we will continue to do so. And um, I think that as I see, and I'm older than you are, (laughs) (laughs) And as I see your generation, parent, I think that you are more open than our generation was able to be and more open than our parents' generation was able to be. We were, but I'm hoping that these kids now that are the teens of the future will really lay a foundation that looks very differently. That's what I I keep believing. Mm -hmm. So for sure. Well, I'm sorry. They- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's happened a few times on our podcast. Yeah. It won't be the first. We're artists. <laughs> that's part of being open, creative people, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's part of really being vulnerable is part of this really empowering ourselves and also reimagining mental health. And that I, I would also say as a woman, how many times did you feel like you couldn't show emotion? I couldn't control it. I mean, no matter how much I wanted to try, yeah. I felt like it was a failure with me. It was a weakness. It was a failure with me. It was going to hold my career back. And that's a whole other thing. And I've had some amazing bosses that have been men who have had many daughters who have understood that even though I'm crying, what I'm saying doesn't, it doesn't diminish what I'm saying. I'm still very logical, but it's just some sort of, reaction I have that I can't control yeah. right and the ones aren't aware and 
you know, I had a boss yell at me once and he's like, stop it. You know, it was so bizarre. And I'm like, I can't, I would love to. (laughs) Do you think I want to do this? (laughs) Yeah. I want to be like in public crying right now. I'm like, no, I I thought it was a failure with me. And I just, uh, it's just something I've had to accept and move Mm -hmm. forward with. Yeah. And I, age, I think also age gives us more wisdom, right? Or the less, the less pressure to care as much. And um, I have to say too, just learning about peri or peri premenopause, perimenopause. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that really jacks up your entire system as a woman. <laughs> oh, like everything has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, everything I'm reading and starting to experience, it is insane to me. <laughs> you know? Hold on tight. <laughs> Sounds like we need to have a coffee and talk about yes, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. It is an honor to talk with these amazing creators. You can see and read the artist's work in the Shallot, our journal of mental health, art, and literature, or on our website, thelayeredonion.com. Thank you. A little more.